Our first takeaway is this. If you lose your temper, prepare to lose. I want to bring up uh, General Patton. Raise a hand if you ever heard of General Patton. General Patton was one of the most predominant um, generals in U.S. history. A, a bit about him. He started in World War I as a tank commander. In World War II, he was instrumental in the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, his 3rd Army Division helped to relieve the American soldiers in Bastogne. Um, he is someone who, when the Allied forces were over Germany, became the governor of Bavaria. But Patton had a temper. Patton made news for slapping other soldiers at an evacuation hospital. Why did he do this? He saw some soldiers who had no physical injuries. He didn't believe in emotional injuries. And he slapped them saying, you should be out in the field. Because of this, Patton lost. He lost some time on the battlefield. Patton was known for saying very aggressive things in speeches to his own troops and in, in, uh, against other countries like the, the Soviet Union at the time. Because of some aggressive statements against the Soviet Union, he lost his position as governor of Bavaria. Patton's a great example that if you lose your temper, be prepared to lose. But perhaps the epitome of losing their anger, at least to me growing up, uh, was a coach from Indiana. Do you know who this is? Bobby Knight. Here, throwing a chair, known for getting beat red as he yelled. He is someone who often lost his temper, and, well, he lost in the end as well. The University of Indiana, they did some uh, investigation over inappropriate behavior. Um, not only did they fine him $30,000, but they ended up firing him. And there's no love lost between Bobby Knight and the University of Indiana. Um, if, if you lose your temper, you, you will lose. Now, ha have you ever seen this in your own life? Uh, have you ever been at a, a company and, and you saw an employee just go off like he had reached or she had reached the end point and they lost. <laughs> they, they might have uh, made their point, they got it across, but they didn't have a job anymore. And, and this is what can happen if you're on a sales call and you lose your temper, you're going to lose the sale. It's what can happen in a relationship. You lose your temper with your child or, or with a spouse or with a family member, and you can lose them and do damage there. You can lose or prepare a preferred future as well. And so today we got to talk a little bit about anger. And I, and I love meeting in the house of God because God has a lot to say about anger. In fact, I, I love the book of Proverbs. And I just wanted to give some bullet points real quick uh, about what God has to say through the lens of Solomon, the smartest guy who ever lived. And the first thing Solomon said when it came to anger is this. Fools give full vent to their rage. But the wise bring calm in the end. So what Solomon is saying is not just... Patton, it's not just Bobby Knight who gives full vent to rage. It's a fool who does this. Solomon would go on to say, and, and he says, do not make friends even with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Now this one struck me strange. I thought, well, aren't we supposed to love everyone? Well, yeah, you should. But you should be careful who you associate with, right? Parents know this with their children. You're very concerned who your kids are hanging out with. Why? Because character leeches, right? And, and so it says, don't be associated with one easily angered. You might get angry yourself. A final one, uh, this one can, 
commends uh, keeping it together. Better a patient person than a warrior. One with self-control than one who takes a city. Now, now this strikes me because they made a, a documentary over Patton. You can watch this video series all about his exploits uh, militarily, but, but this is saying that you, you'd be better if you're someone who just knows how to keep it under wraps, keep it under control. So we're in this series called All the Feels. And I love it because God made us to be emotional creatures. And I want to remind you that, that if you're emotional, those are a gift from God, those emotions. He doesn't want us to flatline it through life. He, he has made us to experience both high and low for good reason. But while emotions are a gift from God, they also need to be managed by the Word of God. And anger definitely needs to be managed. If you do not manage your anger, you can leave a trail of debris a mile long with both relationships and regrets because you didn't keep it under wraps. So we've got to learn. And today we don't learn from Bobby Knight, but we do learn from Jesus. What you need to know about Jesus is that he was made like us in every way. He experienced all the feels, and he also experienced anger. In fact, what we see him uh, do in the temple kind of reminds me of Bobby Knight, but we're going to explain why he had the right to do it. So we're going to get into an account of Jesus cleansing the temple. It's an account so important that every gospel writer wrote about it. It uh, makes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to learn uh, from what Jesus is doing here. So Mark chapter 11, uh, sometimes in honor of the word of God we just stand. Could we do that today? Uh, in honor that God is actually using these words to speak to us uh, from Mark chapter 11. Here it says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise to the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So this is Jesus and righteous anger. Could you turn to your partner and tell him, righteous anger is easy for Jesus. Righteous anger is easy for Jesus. But it's hard for me. But it's hard for me. Please be seated. I'll never get a moment that I got really upset and couldn't handle my anger. I was a little bit younger, so I guess it makes me feel better. Um, but I was a camp counselor with a ton of kids. And, and it, I love kids. That's not why I got angry. Um, but I was uh, around uh, ages 4 through 8th grade for a whole day long, and there would be 30 of them. And much of your time as a camp counselor is just keeping them busy. And with the age range, there was a lot of ways we tried to keep all these kids busy, Right? In fact, one time I, I came to the end of my rope and I was wearing a ring. It, it was a very flimsy ring. I got it from a vending machine. But this ring, it reminded me of my relationship with Catherine. It was my, like, pre-engagement ring. I know guys don't wear engagement rings, but it, it symbolized my relationship. But I was so done with this one child, I said, here, play with the ring. And it worked. The child was occupied and no longer in my hair. Hallelujah. I don't know if you've ever been there. But hours later, I go to see the state of my ring. And my ring is in pieces on the ground. 
I don't know how a little one breaks a ring. <laughs> Again, it came from a vending machine. But when I saw it all in pieces, and I was away from my fiancé, and this represented my relationship with my fiancé, I got angry. Yes, I was mad. And I think as I understood my anger and as I analyzed, you know, what's going on emotionally, uh, one of the reasons I got anger is because I cared so much. I cared so much about what this represented. It, it cared so much about getting married someday. This was my pre-ring ring. And so what I learned is I think anger and, and one of the benefits of it is that if you've ever been there, it, it's usually a gauge for how much you care. And that's why in sports we see both fans and coaches very angry. Why? They care about winning, don't they? Maybe a little too much at times. But anyway, they care a ton, right? As we look at the Word of God, we, we see Jesus. And how much does Jesus care about people worshiping God? No one could care more. And as he goes and as he sees people getting in the way of that worship by what they're doing, he says, this cannot be. In fact, in another account of this same story, uh, the disciple John, he, he referenced this passage. Um, he said this, he said, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so what we see is that the zeal that, that Jesus had was consuming him. It led him again to flipping over the tables, to throwing chairs, and even in some accounts making a bullwhip to drive people out of there. That's how much he cared. And, and so what do we learn about Jesus in all the fields? Do you know what you have the right to? You have the right to care deeply about important things. Okay? You have the right that when, when something bad is happening to your children or when you hear of, of abuse of all sorts, um, whether children or women, you have the right to, to care about that and, and to feel something inside. That, that's a good thing that you care that much. In fact, when it comes to church, I often have the, the same thing about other people's ability to see God. I care deeply that everyone can see how beautiful Jesus is and you should care deeply about that. You have the right to care deeply. Reminds me of a cartoon character I grew up with. Didn't remember this guy. He was in love with a gal named Olive Oil. And Olive Oil was often in danger in this cartoon by Brutus. And, and he would get to a point where he saw his lovely Olive Oil in danger, where he would say, um, let me get it, that's all I can stand, I can stand it no more. Some of you remember this. And then he'd eat some spinach, and you know what had happened to his muscles. He was Superman from that point, and he would do whatever he could do to rescue olive oil. And it was amazing to see his exploits for superhero Popeye and Sailor Man. And you and I, we, we could be compelled by that kind of burning inside of us to do some great things. You can be compelled to go after a cause to protect children or protect women. You, you should use this energy to do something about what you care so much about. That's a great response. But another benefit for anger, if you're taking notes, is that I also think anger is a gauge for how wrong something is. Now, some of you children know how your parents react when you're wrong. How do they react when you have attitude? 
when you're superiorly attitudinal. They get angry, don't they? That's not how we act in this household. How do parents react or should they react when they hear that you've been fighting at school or not getting along with their sibling? They get angry, right? And actually they should because it's wrong. It's wrong sometimes the things that we do. You know, here, it doesn't remind me of coaches, but I had a band director, and he was a great guy, but man, did he get angry. But one of the reasons he got so angry is because he knew how off the band was. See, he had an ear for music, and so every time he'd hear something that was out of tune or not the right plight or not the same syncopation, he'd, he'd get so angry because he was that excellent. So high was his gauge over right and wrong. In fact, it kind of reminded me of this uh, movie, Whiplash. It was a few years ago. And uh, it was of a professor at a, a conservatory in, in New York City. And, and he got so angry at the drummer because he knew it was on beat and he didn't always. I'm not saying the way he expressed the anger was right. We'll talk about that. But I do mean to say that his gauge of what was wrong and right was very fine-tuned. Back to Jesus. As he goes into the temple and he knows what worship should like and then what is happening. That there are robbers there. Commentators would say that, that if those sellers were there upselling, it means that this had to actually start at the top. That your biggest religious leaders were okay with ripping people off as they came to see God. It'd kind of be like we have Easter coming up, and what if I stood by the doors and I barred them unless they gave $100? And the $100 didn't go to pay to my salary. It just went for me personally. What an offense that would be. What a stumbling block. And Jesus can have no part of that. And so what does Scripture record? He said, you know what, my house should be and, and, and will be called a house of prayer, but what have you done? You've made it a den of robbers. This is wrong, and I can stand it no more. And so Jesus goes, Popeye. Now, as we look at these two points about caring deeply and also understanding what is wrong, I then do some self-reflection over how God should view me. God knows exactly what he wants for my life and how I should treat other people, and God knows exactly how wrong I am. So what's the appropriate response? And I guess I don't need to just refer to me, but what about you? Have you ever had this moment with God of like this understanding like you can't escape him? He knows exactly what's going on. And, and what should the reaction be? He's justified in his anger over sin, isn't he? But what's the solution that he provides? Does his anger get taken out on us? I love what Isaiah wrote. Isaiah prophesied what would happen. And talking about Jesus said, you know what Jesus would do? He would take up our pain. And he'd bear our suffering. But you know what we'd consider him? We would consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. God's solution for his anger was for Jesus to be punished so that we wouldn't have to be. He fought so much for peace and reconciliation that when it comes to God's anger, it is absorbed by God himself. 
And this is the good news. This is the reason we call church amazing love. This is the reason I've told you that God is transcendent above the ways of the world. Because who does this? Who gets so angry and then absorbs their anger so that you and I can be at peace? This is your holy God. And I want to let you know if you're watching online, if you're new to Christianity, you have the right to this peace. You get to be treated as Jesus deserves because he was treated as we deserve. He is now like a tender mother holding you in his arms the rest of your life. Speaking tenderly to you and guiding you through this life. You have the right to be called that child of God. In fact, we even have perspective that because Jesus was punished in our place, do you know God is done punishing you? He might discipline you to turn you around like a good parent, but he is done with punishment. That was paid once and for all. How beautiful and how God handled his anger. So then the question is, well, then why does Jesus go off the way he goes off? Why is he flipping tables? And the, the next question is, do I have the right to do it? <laughs> you know, unless you're the righteous one, I'm not sure you can claim righteous anger. Or a righteous expression of it. See, if you want to understand what Jesus is doing, you need to understand the whole Old Testament, or New Testament. When he was dealing with people, if they had hard hearts, he was usually very hard. If you see his interaction with the Pharisees, many times he was calling them names or he was waking them up because they didn't listen. But with those who are already softened, he was usually very soft. Uh, with the woman caught in adultery or the woman at the well, he, he didn't need to dig the knife. Rather, he was very soft to those. And, and so what, what Jesus knows is the environment he's in. This was a wake-up call so that hopefully they'd turn around and find him as Savior. But unless, again, you know exactly what's in the heart of someone else, unless you are the righteous one, I'm not sure you can flip tables. And I'm not sure you should throw chairs. And you probably definitely shouldn't make a whip and just, you know. Because only the righteous one can claim handling that righteous angle well. So th then the question goes, what do we do with our anger? And how do we manage it in a way that would be appropriate uh, with the word of God? Well, here I was listening to a great sermon by a, a sage pastor named Rick Warren. Maybe you've heard him. And I want to talk about a, a few animals that he brought up. He says that when it comes to hurt and pain, we are usually uh, one of two animals that we are either a skunk or a turtle. And then I'm going to get into how I think we should be cubs. But anyway, um, so first, um, let's talk about a turtle. Um, when a turtle is in danger or getting hurt, what does the turtle do? Sucks itself in, right? And, and that way, no one can touch, no one can get, the shell protects, right? And, and that's just how a turtle reacts to that. What this reminds me of uh, uh, are those who are hurt, who don't talk about it, try to move on, nothing to see here, and they suppress their anger. And what I believe is that we shouldn't suppress it. Do you know when we try to stuff our emotions, those emotions will come out. It's like shaking up a Coke bottle, and it's just a matter of time. In fact, maybe you've seen other people who had stuffed so much bad emotion that when it finally came out, it was a monster. It was a volcano. It was like out of control. What is going on? 
Another thing that can happen is what we call projection. Where someone has stuffed so much anger that you're just around them, and they're not angry at you, but they have so much that it feels like they're angry at you, but they're angry at something else. You're just there. That, that can happen with the turtles who suppress. What's also really interesting if you, uh, you know, just observe psychology is a few things that can happen. That if you don't process your emotional distress, it can actually turn into physical pain. It can actually turn into backaches and headaches and bodily pain because what's inside is, is being that Coke bottle and it's not released, so it's affecting everything else. Another thing that I heard is that um, sometimes the reason for depression is that you haven't handled your anger. Some psychologists call depression frozen rage. Are you seeing how we shouldn't be a turtle? And isn't that what our first lesson reminded us? What, what did it say? It said, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. W what does this mean, don't let the sun go down? It means work on it, doesn't it? It means don't just go in a shell. Do what it takes to process it. Do what it takes to reconcile. Otherwise, you're going to be hurting. So it's not good to be a turtle, but it's also, and, and this is apparent, it's not good to be a skunk. What does a skunk do every time it's around something that might have danger? It spews and it sprays nastiness. What is this a picture of? Someone who, with the slightest bit of hurt, wants to hit back and hurt harder. Someone in a fight who's ready to go blow for blow. Someone in a, a verbal battle is ready to take it up a notch and escalate it. These are the people who say, I just got to get something off my chest. These are the people proud to vent, right? I just got to vent. Solomon talked about venting. First, do not fully express your anger. And sorry, the, the proverb we considered before, that those who give full vent to their anger are fools. So we don't want to just go off and skunk and spew. Because of those who've done it, they, they've usually ended relationships. They've usually closed doors because they didn't know how to handle it appropriately. You know, uh, I've heard that some people think that if they have a bucket of anger, they just need to vent and, and dump it out and now I'll feel good. But the truth is, because of our sinful nature, we have a factory of anger. We can always make more. And the more that you use that anger, the more angry you become and the more you produce. So what is the solution? It's to be a bear cub. Now what happens when a bear cub is in danger? A bear cub can talk to mama bear. And a bear cub doesn't even have to handle her own problems because she's got mama bear. And what is this a picture of? A picture of us who know God. The ultimate mama bear. Coming to him and talking about all that is wrong and laying it out to God. And then letting him fight for you. And let him take care of it. You know, someone who was really great at this was a man named David. And if you want all the feels, just read some of his psalms. Because he expresses all these emotions. In fact, Psalm 35 is a great correlation for what we're talking about today. In Psalm 35, look at all that's happening to David. All the wrong things. Ruthless witnesses come forward. So those who are just looking to take him down. When I stumble, they gather in glee. 
They're so happy when I make the slightest mistake. They hid their net for me without cause, and without cause dug a pit for me. They, they are trying to trap me. They are trying to take me down. And yet, what does David do in this psalm? He doesn't strategize on how to get him back. He doesn't fight for his own honor. No, he, he talks to God and he says, Arise, awake to my defense. Contend for me, my God and my Lord. And so for you and I, what, what do we do? We have the opportunity to confess our anger to God. You care about something? Pray about it. Bring it to him. Something's wrong? Pray about it. Let him fight for you. This is how we handle our anger. I don't believe it's really being angry at God. But I do believe it is bringing our anger to God. And there's a difference. May we do this often. But as we close, I guess I'm still not over how, how God handled his own anger. That God absorbed it himself. And Jesus paid the price for reconciliation. Jesus, he could have conducted ministry, proving to everyone else how he was right and they were wrong. And he would have been justified. That's what he could have done in his anger, knowing all that was wrong. He could have went around and, and told the Pharisees and his disciples, you're wrong and you're wrong and you're wrong. And that could have been his fight. He could have done that with the political rulers and the religious rulers all day long. But he didn't fight to prove he was right. No, he fought to make it right. And there's a difference. It reminds me of David once again. David, one of the wrong things happening to him is he was anointed as king, and the current king hated him. And so Saul, the current king, mounted an army to go against David and take him out. And David and his men were hiding in a cave when Saul came by, and you should read the Bible, it's interesting, and Saul came into that same cave to go to the bathroom. Now at this point, all of David's men said, here's the chance, take him out. You're justified anyway. And David got up and the sneak away just cut off a, a part of the garment. And he didn't kill him. Rather, he fought to make the situation right. And as Saul went out that day, he, he, he called him and he said, Saul, I have some of your garment here. And Saul, I want you to know, I could have killed you. You were mine. I hope this shows you that I'm innocent. I hope this shows you that you have no threat from me as long as you live. He fought to make it right. And why did he do it? Because he knew the Lord fought for him. And do you know David's story? Surely the Lord did fight for him. Saul was taken out by God's design at his own time. And so for us, when you're angry and someone has something against you, you could just fight to be right. That could be your approach. I need to prove to everyone how I'm right and someone else is wrong. Or you could fight to make it right. To say and to do whatever it takes for reconciliation and peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. And in the meantime, you can bring whatever wrong and whatever's on your heart to our God. May he so bless you as you manage your anger with his word and with the example of Jesus. Amen.